From Boca Raton, Florida, this is Behind the Bima. On this episode, the rabbis are back and are joined by Rabbi Judah Michelle, executive director of Camp Hask. Rav Judah discusses how Hask was able to pull off camp this summer, the unparalleled chesed and kindness on display at the camp, and his experiences as one of the influential teachers of neo-Hasidus. Also, the rabbis discuss the differences between being a stakeholder in a shul versus a consumer. And what season of Behind the Bima is this anyway? All this and more, Behind the Bima. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's Wednesday night, 9 p.m. I am Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg, joined together with my dear friends and colleagues, Rabbi Philip Moskowitz and Rabbi Josh Brody. And we are here to take you behind, behind the Bima. The Bima. Gentlemen, this is episode 18. At what point do you go season one, episode one, season one, episode 18? When do you become season two? I feel like we're, you know, we've been as manim. We took off two weeks. We had Tishabov. We had another conflict last week. We're back. So maybe, maybe this is season two, episode one, or is this season one, episode 18? Which way? I feel like the um, Narayim breaks it up a little bit. That's when you go from season one to season two. Come back so and Cheshvan. Okay, so we're going all the way. This is still season one. We'll, in five years, we'll be like se- season one, episode f- 420. <laughs> Let's thank our sponsors for tonight. Tonight's episode of Bound the Beam is generously sponsored anonymously. And this is yet another great anonymous sponsor because I know who they are. They don't live in Boca. And nothing makes us happier when people join the BRS movement. We're not a shul. We're not a synagogue. We don't have a synagogue membership. We are a movement. And uh, tonight's sponsors are dear friends of ours who are sponsored in honor of the BRS rabbis and our quest to seek unity and not uniformity, which we could speak about for hours. That is our slogan. That is our motto. Unity, not uniformity. Unity demands diversity. You know, Rabbi Steinsaltz just passed away. So I'll, uh, I'll tell a story. When Rabbi Steinsaltz spoke in Boca in BRS a couple of years ago, several years ago, uh, it was in someone's home. And before the event began, he was preparing himself a cup of coffee. First of all, he was such a humble man. There was no entourage, no gabai, no shamash. He just came humble, sweet, smart. He was making himself a cup of coffee, and I'll never forget, he was stirring his coffee, and he looked at me, and he said, tell me, Rabbi Goldberg, what's special about your community? What's the hallmark of Boca of BRS? Right? A great question. So there's no better question for me. That's like an alley-oop. I launch right into my valuing diversity and celebrating unity, and I launch right into my whole shtick, who we are, what we believe in, the whole thing. I didn't have the PowerPoint on me, maybe before PowerPoint. Um, Anyway, I finish, and he looks up from his coffee, and he says to me, of course, you have diversity if you had unity. If you don't have diversity, you don't have unity. You have uniformity. It's like, wow, that's why you are brilliant <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm me. So in, in one second, he cut right to the chase. And it was a brilliant insight, profoundly brilliant. In order to have unity, you have to have diversity. If you don't have diversity, you don't have unity, you have uniformity. So our sponsors tonight get that. That's who we are, what we're about. We love our community with its uh, tremendous range of diversity. It's one of the things I miss the most in this uh, semi-shutdown that we're still in, the pandemic, is not seeing that range of diversity connecting, being enriched, and really growing from, from encountering people, not similar, but who are different than us. Tell you where else I feel it with people moving into the community this summer. Um, as people move in and I say, oh, my, the community is amazing. I can't wait for you to, to see the programs, the learning opportunities, the members, and then I realized they're not getting any of that, right? If you're moving in now right. and you're in a valley or you're in a new house, you're really limited in, in what you're seeing and experience from the community. And it's sad. You know, I can't wait for them to feel the magic of uh, BRS a little bit. I think Absolutely. That's part, of, part of the challenge is also there's a lot of people that are contacting us, you know, like always, and they want to get in touch with programs. And the question is, do you put them in touch right now and give them a taste with a virtual program? Or do you say, you know what? It's not, we're not, we're not back to where we want to be. Just wait, just wait and see. But then they're not getting right. anything. And it's really and tough. And also, you don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. So, you know, on the one hand, you don't want to describe a reality. Who knows when we'll be there again. But I don't think we have to sell ourselves too hard because if people have moved in and they've moved in during this time, obviously or hopefully they're moving to something. So we just have to continue to try to provide the magic that um, invites people who don't even live in Boca to join the movement and to be willing to sponsor Behind the Beam. So it's good to be back, boys. We, we've been off for two weeks. Can I just tell you something? I, you know, there was, there was an email that went around today. Someone moved into the community. So, you know, you called her, I think. So I figured, you know, let me just call and introduce myself. The feeling that I got when I called was like, it's so strange that a rabbi would call to welcome me. Like, why, why are you doing this? Ooh, look who's here. here. Unbelievable. Rav Judah is connecting to audio. 
It's connecting. That's sort of Judah. Oh, he's oh. not connecting. I think he was testing us <laughs> to make sure he could come back. He's teasing us. But Rav Judah Michelle, the great Rav Judah Michelle, will be back shortly, our special guest tonight. And no better way to come back. So I'll tell you, um, you know, it was really nice. I got a few messages during this two-week hiatus. One, Tishabov. Obviously, we weren't going to broadcast on Tishabov. And the other, um, we had a conflict, unable to broadcast last week. Um, and, and I had several messages of people who said, please don't tell me that Behind the Beam is done. Please don't tell me that because the world is starting to begin to think about maybe opening up, that means that Behind the Beam is over. So that was really nice to hear. No, we're just gearing up for season two. That's what you got to exactly. tell them. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'd like to make a l'chaim to why we had to miss last week. Obviously, the Goldbergs celebrated a beautiful wedding of their daughter, Atara. And uh, it was really, uh, obviously, it was painful for us. I know Rabbi Brody and I were talking from afar, but uh, it was hard not to be there to celebrate with you, to give you a hug in person. So instead, I'd like to make a l'chaim with you to, uh, to Tara and Kalev, to the newlyweds, to the parents and the entire family, everyone in good health and happiness for many, many years to come. L'chaim, l'chaim. And the truth is, it's not that I've gone dry, but I am broadcasting from Fayetteville, North Carolina on our way home. So <laughs> I don't have people. access to a l'chaim. <laughs> Amen. Thank you very much. We missed everyone too. And Baruch Hashem was a simcha. And I want to bless everyone that we should all only celebrate simchas in any time and in any way. Hopefully we can be there. But even if we can't, we know that our hearts are with one another. And we should all be blessed to be able to celebrate simchas. All those who are longing and looking to be married, to have children, to celebrate bar mitzvahs, all the simchas in the world. Hashem should shower us with shefa bracha. We should just have simcha after simcha after simcha. How are things up north? Things up north are radically different than down south. Um, I think it's actually complicated. Um, much is radically different in reality, meaning the data, and the facts on the ground, and what phase that they're up to is radically different. Some of it's radically different just in behavior, people who are not following the protocols or the way things should be. Uh, but in any case, it really brought to me an awareness. Look, the first two weeks we were up there, we were quarantined. When I say quarantine, I mean lockdown. I didn't dive in with a minion. You know, we were gonna, we were going to put it out there as uh, you know, to raise money for the shul for Torah, that uh, that you can get a glimpse into a little reality show called Eleven People, Fourteen Days, One House. But uh, Baruch Hashem, we all grew closer and we created memories that will last a lifetime from it. Um, so fourteen days, we didn't see anything that was going on outside, nothing. So um, and then and then we started to see what was going on. So in fact, the first day I was out of quarantine, I was out with a mask. Um, with my children trying to pick up food in a plaza that I don't think anyone else is wearing a mask. When someone else with a mask came up to me, it was David Lichtenstein, who was a great Talmud Chacham, great philanthropist, um, the, uh, the um, host of headlines. And he came up to me, he recognized me. We had spoken before. I'd never met him in person. We had a conversation about masks and how people behave. And meanwhile, I was talking to him and this uh, young yeshiva guy walks up to us to listen to the story. It's amazing. And then we'll introduce you and welcome you. So this young guy walks up and he says, wow, look at this. And he takes out his phone. He holds it up and he says, look at my podcast player. And he shows that the top two podcasts he listens to are Behind the Bima and Headlines. Headlines. That's great. Now, by the way, I'll tell you, it was in that order. The truth is he had a third podcast he listens to. And uh, yesterday, two days ago, I was interviewed on that podcast while I was in New York. I won't say which one it is. When, when they come out with it, they'll come out with it. And the truth is he had three podcasts he listens to. That other one was number one, Behind the Bima number two, and Headlines was number three. So that was, that was really great. Rav Judah Michelle is with us, our special guest tonight. Rav Judah, hey, thank you for coming back. Aleichem Shalom, my holy brother. It is so good to have you. For those who don't know, and who doesn't know Rav Judah Michel these days, thanks to Mishpacha Magazine and others who have made him a celebrity in the Jewish world. Rav Judah Michel is the executive director of Camp Hask, the Hebrew Academy for Special Children. He is a mashpia of NCSY, which we'll ask him to define for us. Founder of Tzamanafshi, an organization dedicated to fostering Jewish education and inspiration, an educational consultant to the Orthodox Union, so much more, lives in Ramape Chemish with his wonderful wife and family, children, beautiful family. And, uh, but most of all, I think we've all known Rav Judah for many years. Before that beard was that length, before that beard was that color, any of our beards were that color, we go, uh, we go way back, high school, right, Rav Judah? Oh, you, you ran a senior minion. The scene. You knew I was going there. Yeah. I mean, why, why wait? Why wait? You just, you didn't know if it was going to be the first sentence or the last <laughs> sentence. You knew I was going there. I mean, you know, I was working an angle. I was doing my stablis, making my appropriate efforts as a ninth grade boy in Frisch from Muncie. And you wanted me to go to Mincha. 
And now we're here. That's right. And now we're here. What was it? You, you were in ninth grade. I was in 12th. Are we four years apart? I think so. I think by 12th grade, I had found myself. I had started to actually care about going to Minion, and that qualified me to be in charge of trying to drag <laughs> others to Minion. That was in itself <laughs> enough. The fact that I made it to Minion qualified to be in charge of making sure ninth graders make it to Minion. There's a difference between like w- making sure that others go to Minion and being interested in Minion ourselves. I mean, that, that was... <laughs> right. Yes. That that is for sure. So we go we go way back, and it's really great to have you on. Thank you. We love you. We love the inspiration. So tell us what's going on. You're in America right now. I'm in America. I'm actually uh, I'm actually off campus. I'm I'm I've been upstate uh, at Camp Ask for the summer, but uh, down down in the city for uh, a simcha, staying at uh, our friend the Gerbers tonight. Uh, Beautiful. Tomorrow morning. Yeah. Baruch Hashem. Um, Amen. Amen. Camp tell us, yeah, so Rabbi Brody's asking, tell us about camp. What's the story? Camp is on, it's off, it's modified. How's it happening? Yes, all the yes, all of the above. D, all of the above. It's uh um it's actually it's a miracle that uh that we're able to do something. Um thank God, you know, on a on a regular summer, we're providing services for 330 to 350 families, kids with special needs, intellectual disabilities. Um, and we have about you know 550 staff or so. We're at 15% this year. Um, we're at a 15% uh, capacity, um, running a day camp program. That's what uh, that's what's allowed by the Department of Health. Uh, so we have families who are upstate New York who are local. We have some kids who are coming up from uh, from Muncie and from you know the local environs. And uh, just recently, just last week, started also being able to accept some uh, some some campers or some some residents uh, as sleepover uh, guests in our uh, residence facility. Um, you know, it's a, it's a challenge. It's a, it's a, it's a big challenge. It's a, a summer of the audible summer of contingency for everybody in the whole world. And, and camp right. is no different, but, uh, Baruch Hashem, we're able to do something. So I came to Camp Ask with my family for a Shabbos a couple summers ago. Um, I never worked at Camp Ask. My wife did and my daughter did. And I'll tell you, I think it's, um, a large part of what makes my wife the outstanding mother that she is. I think the people who worked at Camp Ask, they, they know chesed at another level. They know selflessness at literally another level than other people. And I get criticized for saying the word literally too much, but I meant literally there, literally another level. Um, so can you talk to us about that? Uh, you know, I left that, that Shabbos. I wrote a whole article about it because I was just so moved. I was blown away. I was so yeah. inspired. And, and I heard the counselors themselves described how transformative it was. Who do you think gets more out of Camp Pass, the campers or the staff members? That's a great question. I mean, it's, it's, it's the story of all of our lives. Anybody who's, who's a giver, anybody who self-identifies as a helper, and who strives to be someone who's part of the solution, so to speak, in any situation, you know, beyond the palindrome of, uh, of giving, there's uh, the Aron would carry those who sought to carry it. And um, anyone who's in service of others knows this, that uh, the more we give, the more, the more we receive. Um, and it's a privilege to be in service of others. There's, there's no greater power. There's no greater connectivity that's generated in the world there's no greater divine presence than that which is you know created by two people working together and you know it it doesn't take long it doesn't take long to recognize that this is beyond chesed it's it's more you know i'd say even beyond arevos there's there's something here which is a which is um the magical connection between two people uh who are in service you know someone who's in service and and uh, there's no, I mean, there's, there's, there's no question. There's no question. You have parents who are benefiting from respite. You have children and young adults who are benefiting from therapeutic service and medical services and lots of love. Um, and, 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 and as in every situation in our lives, the more we give, the more we grow. Uh, so I think it's uh, pretty, pretty, pretty clear. It's that those of us who are, you know, officially the ones who are on, the givers are, uh, are receiving so much more. And that's always the case. Amazing. Special shout out to BRS member Shana Caskello. I think is the only Boca, we, always, we often have a lot of Boca people work at Hasbro. I think this summer she's the only one who was able to make it there. So special shout out to her. We're, we're very proud of that. It's really amazing. Do you have a story that stands out of, of um, one of the staff members who really changed? In that Shabbos I was there, I remember a staff member telling me that they had always been very impatient in their life. And you know, when you've got a camper and you're trying to get them to the dining room or the next activity, but because of their challenge, their disability, it takes forever to get there. You learn patience. You learn patience really quickly. And he described that from the beginning of the summer to the end of the summer, he was a different person. 
he had broken a bad midah, he had worked on himself in a way that years and years in a base magic or elsewhere he couldn't have. So is there a story or someone that stands out to you that you've seen that happen, that magic? It's, uh, there, there's so many moments. It's, it, it's, it's funny, you know how these things are. Like We focus on the miracle moments, on the Yamsuf moments, on the uh, Matan Torah moments, on the burning bush and the, the, you know, the prophet filling the vessels with oil moments that are revealed and that are obvious, but it's, it's, it's a regular Tuesday afternoon at lunch when a 19-year-old guy uh, sits down to eat lunch hungry and cuts a piece of pizza um, into small pieces and feeds his camper before he puts it in his own mouth, which is the biggest pella. And I mean, that's, that, 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 that's the wildest story. It's the moment to moments, you know, taking someone back to the bunk, to the restroom, you know, to clean them and, uh, and, just living with covered habrios, so to speak, and 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 polishing, you know, God's diamonds in the world in a natural way. You know, on the way to the pool, changing and then changing out after the pool. Um, those are like the most awesome, the most awesome moments when things are you know clicking and you're just watching the th- watching it happen. Um, there was actually there was there was, but one of those Yamsov type moments. There was. Um, it was the, the the first night of camp. Usually, I like we hide out. I could try not to be seen too much. Thank God we have exceptional staff, exceptional program director, and have counselors and an amazing system of support. And uh, I have the luxury of kind of just like sitting and like watching from afar, hoping like everything you know, just like say, stay back and say tikkun klali and hope that everything goes, you know. And uh, it was uh, our, our director of staff development and clinical research, Dr. Benji Epstein was out on the lawn, you know, doing his thing, talking to people. And there was a counselor who said, this guy's not going to make it. He's out. Like, he, he wants out already. This is a – the Rosh Hashiva pushed him to go. You know, he said, if you want to come back, bet, you have to work there. And he had the social pressure, you know, to be a part of this. And he showed up, and he's just like – I think the exact quote was, I'm, I'm not down for this. Like, this is not – no, it's not happening. Mm-hmm. And – you know, I think Benji walked him through it a little bit. We have an orientation. I mean, you know, Dr. Shalamas Pollock and Avi Pollock. So they, you know, frame things very beautifully. Um, and he said, like, you have to just give it a shot. I mean, you're here. You can't leave on the first day. You'll be, you'll be the biggest loser in town. I mean, you, you have to, you've got to stick this out. Give it a couple of days. We'll, we'll, we can try to make up a story or something, you know, a great uncle <laughs> somewhere. I don't know, whatever, you know, you're drafted, <laughs> conscripted. Something they needed you. I don't know, you know, something. Give it a shot. Um, and he's like, I can't. I can't sleep in the bunk. It's too crazy. I don't know what to do with these kids. I have no experience. This is nuts. He was panicking. And um, that night, literally, that was this is early in the afternoon. Late that night, walking back to you know my place, and, and, and everybody kind of staff kind of settling in. His, his camper wouldn't like wouldn't go to sleep was having a hard time adjusting first night. You know, kids get homesick. People with special needs get homesick too. I mean, we all have special needs. And, uh, you know, people with intellectual disabilities also miss their parents and also don't want to sleep in the bunk the first night. Uh, and this counselor just spent the whole time with him sitting outside on a bench. And when it came, when the kids started falling asleep, he, he laid down on, on, on the bench. And the counselor went in and got his blanket and pillow and covered him on the bench right outside the bunk in the lawn on the front and spent the entire night outside of him under the stars, the first night of camp, you know, totally in service, totally mavatal himself to the, to the, to, to what was needed. And, uh, that was it. You know, that was it. It was Kona Olamo. He, he, he bought in and he broke, he just broke that fear. He leaned right into it. And, uh, in one night he was, uh, you know, he was in the army. Uh, it was an amazing, it was a wild thing, a wild thing. What we're cap- what we're capable of doing, when wow. when we're put in situations of responsibility and achrayis, when somebody actually expects something of us, and you can't, you can't be selfish, you can't be lazy. You have to ju- like you, it, it's it's in your hands. It's an amazing thing what uh, what people are capable of doing. It's amazing, Rajuda. First of all, it's so great to have you on. Thank you. And uh, we also go way back through your brother. And uh, while you were dodging Rabbi Goldberg, I was dodging your brother when he got back from Israel and was trying to get me to learn. I was still in high school. And uh, thank God we've all come a long way. I want to take that last idea. You spoke about how so many people focus on the Kriyas Yamsuf moments, the moments that are big and that capture headlines and that we usually think about as heroic moments in life. But as you spoke about the beauty of Hask is that that's not how you, abuse, that's not how you view success. It's those 
small things, the everyday, the mundane, trivial acts that a person does on behalf of another person that creates that Kedusha. So I've never been to Hask. I, I didn't go as a counselor. I've never been uh, yet. But uh, how do you take that magic, that idea, that concept, and drill it down for those who aren't in Hask? For Balabatim, people like me who are just trying to grow and become a better Ben Torah, how do you take that idea of finding Kedusha, not in those big moments, but in everyday life, that we can, instead of viewing ourselves as unsuccessful, view ourselves as successful. And you know what, if I'm on a website and I don't look at the image, that's, a, that's, that's heroism, that's amazing, that's successful. And if I take an apple and I make a bracha with kavana, that's also kedusha. So how do you take the magic of Hask, the lessons that you just described, and boil it down for someone who isn't at Hask, who's living a life of just trying to be a better person and grow a little bit in their relationship with Hashem? That's a great question, like all of us. I mean. I mean, like all of us. Like all of us. I mean, we talk a lot in camp about how, you know, 1967 was the summer of love. We don't want, you know, 19, you know 2019, 2020, the summer of chesed. Uh, and that you don't really get a badge of honor if you treat an individual with, with Down syndrome or autism with respect and kindness. You just, you're not an achzar. You're not, you're not, you're not, you're, like you're, you know, you're not, you're not cruel. Uh, and that the real challenge is, is not to see them as a, let's call it a cheftza of mitzvah, not to see them as an object for which we can work on ourselves and refine ourselves like, a, like an esrog or a, you know, a, a pair of tefillin, but to view a person as a person. And that's really the key, is, to, is for us to see ourselves and everyone around us through the lens of, of kindness and humility and to have rachmanas on ourselves and others. There's a, this week's parsha, we say, the Ma'or Vashemesh, um, says, Take a look. Just, just open your eyes. Like you said, open your eyes at every moment and every place and every person and every experience in the boardroom and in the bedroom and in shul and not in shul and wherever we go and anything that we do. Open up your eyes and see that there's a choice, that there's an opportunity, a bracha or a klala. And you could be someone who's a giver, you could be someone who's a taker, you could be somebody who's you know, selfish or someone who's selfless. We have moments where we can, where we can choose. There's that space there, that, 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 that pause, that moment when we encounter, uh, you know, getting, coming out of the supermarket and you see somebody, you know, maybe holding a kid trying to load their car with their packages where you could just kind of like grab our phone and pretend we didn't see or, you know, go over and offer a hand. Or, um, you know, walking down the street, you, know, you see somebody who looks down, you know, looks kind of sad or forlorn. You haven't seen them in a while. Uh, and you could, you know, smile and extend ourselves, take the risk, so to speak, or just continue on our way. Hey, first things first, just take a look. There's an opportunity in everything for, uh, for positive engagement or, or for negative engagement. So the Columbus Kalman says, the Mormon Shemesh says, Re'ei, first things first, Re'ei Anochi. Just recognize that every single one of us is carrying the power of Anochi, of Anochi Hashem Elokecha, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, manifesting himself through us. You know, our, that, that, our, that we ourselves, you know, be Adoni, that Hashem is, is acting in the world through us, and that we're a Chelek Elokal that we are a, a chip off of a divine block and cut from divine cloth, and that Hashem believes in us and is expecting of us to choose to choose, meaning like to know that we, you know, and to be a counselor in Camp Pasch is the most noble and wonderful thing in the world. And I wasn't never a counselor in Camp Pasch either. I never thought of it. It wasn't on my list of top hundred things to do during the summer. And until, you know, I dated Ora, I didn't really hear so much about it. You know, a little bit, a couple friends here and there, but, you know, and, and, and it, you could be a decent human being and a caring human being, and a sensitive human being and a giver and, and selfless and, you can be in the army of light without ever having worked in Camp Hask or Camp Simcha or Camp Kaley or Yacha, the friendship circle. Like we don't have to relegate being a giver and a helper to a specific time and place in a specific program. And it's wonderful to have the, the merch and the swag is very chashev. It's a Kiddush <laughs> Hashem. When you, walk, when you see people walking down the street identifying as people who are proud of, of helping others. But for, for us, you know, everybody in their own lives, in their own home, we have to be re'eh, anochi, know that, hold on, I'm a person. Hashem is counting on me. Hashem believes that I can make a choice here and choose to be someone who's making the world a better place. Do, do you think we do a good enough job? In, you, you see people once they're, let's say, around the stage of either going to Israel or coming back from Israel. 
Do you think before that we do a good enough job in our communities of instilling that notion, drilling it into people, that even in the smallest, most mundane, trivial actions every single day, you can achieve that level of godless that you were talking about, that level of greatness? Do we do a good enough job of that? Uh, I mean, it's, it's, the language is changing in the world for sure. People are talking like that much more. The language of, of the Baal Shem Tov's expansive way of seeing divine engagement, the Becholder Ha'echadahehu is definitely changing. I mean, you know, hopefully the, the way that we're, that we're framing um, opportunities for Kedusha and opportunities for Ruchnius, for spirituality, are becoming a little bit more expansive uh, and inclusive in the world. You know, Avod the Bagashmius, if you want to call it, being involved in the world. It used to be that, like, you think that doing, doing God means going to shul. And doing frum means learning Torah and keeping mitzvahs. But, um, you know, in, in that way of seeing the world, it's kind of like we've locked away Hashem in certain times and places. We've kind of put God, relegated the religious experience uh, at certain times. You know, Yom Tif, Shabbos, Shachos, and Chamarev. Um, and it's definitely starting, the world is starting to shift more in the direction of, um, of talking about Hashem more. You hear people talking about Hashem more. You hear people talking more about opportunities to like, you know, find meaningful experiences in, in work and meaningful experiences in relationships. I don't know, it wasn't so long ago. I don't remember hearing, like people weren't talking about this. You know? uh, remember Ray Weinberger, Weinberger was talking about an Ezra Academy. We had those things. Right. But, um, you know, the language of the generation is getting closer and closer to that, uh, that doctrine. So let me, let me ask you, let me, let me follow up with, let me follow up from exactly that question. I want to ask you, you know, again, when you and I went to high school, it's not just whatever level of intensity or inspiration that we had, um, that language wasn't even available. It wasn't accessible. That, that, that entire vocabulary wasn't something that was employed or used. And, and I think we've both been drawn to it. Um, me perhaps a little bit more recently and, and you a little bit longer, a little bit more expert. Um, but whether it's the length of your beard or the language you talk, you know, I myself have been drawn of late. Um, I'm coming back now, having spent some time in the New York area for this for the simcha, and I was by the Ribbonster Rebbe for davening the night before the wedding, and the Oel of the Rebbe, and I went to the Square Rebbe while I was there, and that whole forget just the Rebbe's, but the whole language, um, even if it's not the outer garb, but that inner feeling that we all um, are looking towards right now. So take us behind the bima. What in your life between when we were in high school together? And the length of that beard right now, which I'm not fixated or just envious of your beard, but as a symbol of a commitment to a Hasidus or what we call neo-Hasidus, what happened in your life? What was that change? And what, what, what switch flipped? And when it did, how did you know or how did you decide what to do with it? Where did you go to learn, study? Who were you exposed to? Who did you turn to? Where did you pick up that vocabulary? And then the second question, which I'm going to throw two things at you is, even as I heard you describe that Hashem is not only in the base medrash, is not only in the shul, some of the pushback against the neo Hasidus, of which whether you signed it up for it or not, um, but you are one of the faces and spokespeople of it, some of the pushback is, you know, the, the proponents of neo Hasidus, we don't see them giving Gemara Shirim or Chaburas and Lamdas or Halacha. So, you know, aren't these other things, isn't Pinimia Satora and isn't that neo Hasidus, isn't that... Isn't that dessert? Isn't that icing on the cake? Isn't that something which is the side dish? Isn't the main dish, you know, the classic Torah learning and the classic and so on and so forth? So um, it, it, are there people who have it all? Why does it feel like the community is, is segmented into those who speak only, you know, Reb Chaim and Reb Shimans, those who are speaking Baal Shem? But what about people who have shiurim of both up and they're going viral for offering shiurim on both segments of what we're doing? Uh, yeah, so I guess there's a couple, a couple of Is our time up? Is our time up? <laughs> we're, we're, we're a commercial commercial. <laughs> Want to thank our anonymous sponsor once again. <laughs> Did we mention Shana Cascal as I can't pass this on? I'm not an expert in anything other than like, I don't know, like, like trying. Like I, I'm not, I'm not, like I feel like very much still trying to figure this out. And um, I, I guess a lot of times when we find our comfort zone in, in Jewish life and living and philosophy, uh, called you know, deos, whatever approach. A lot of it has to do with like our personality and we kind of, you know, like if we follow our intuition and our heart in a natural way, you'll often find like people who end up in those specific boxes or trapezoids, it's usually like the target was painted on the wall, you know, like we hit the wall and then you kind of paint the target around it. At least that's what I found with myself. I mean, I have a certain personality 
you know, enjoy people and feel connected to very experiential Yiddishkeit. And, um, and, and also, you know, like always, I don't know, my father's an analyst, was a financial analyst and my mother's an English teacher. So narrative and characters and plot and for my father, you know, like seeing systems, whatever. Um, and and it's, I, that, that's what I hit first. My parents came in the door uh, to orthodoxy and observance through Chabad. And even though that wasn't part of like our day-to-day experience, there was definitely that surrounding respect and love uh, for the language of Lubavitch, uh, the language of Avas Yisrael, the language of inclusion, the language of empowerment, of Gaon Yaakov, of Jewish pride. Uh, music. Yeah, I love music. Uh, I, lo- I, love, I love to party. I love to hang out. I love hanging out with Hevra, and I love music, and I love a good time. And, you know, that kind of like pivoted in the direction, like looking for where that experience is. Um, and found it experientially in 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 the way in the way the Hasidic community sometimes were you know expressing Yiddishkeit. On the other hand, I also I love learning, and and in recent years have have fallen in love with Torah in a different way um, than I did even when I was learning for smicha. Even when I did during those years of learning in Shiva and YU and Shalvim and other, you know, I spent ten years in Reshit with my brothers-in-law, um, and the way that they taught Torah and the way that they had an expansive and very holistic way of, of learning and teaching was inspiring. I grew, that was probably institutionally the most, uh, was the most impacted um, and saw that you could hold cups, so to speak, in different, uh, and have a, lay, a foot in different places at the same time. Um, also being someone who comes from a very open, tolerant and liberal home, well, the opportunity to kind of like enjoy the smorgasbord and draw from here and draw from there and never saw it as being something which was contradictory. Um, you know, I, I, when it comes to like, you know, I, The Halachic Man was an important book in my life. Meaning, I, you know, when I, our first date, my wife was talking about like the most important influences, Halachic Man, I start panicking. I'm like, oh my God, I read that. I went to the YU <laughs> Library the next day. I took it out and dove right in. And uh, you know, I was learning Lakuti Halachas from Rav Nassim at the time in the morning. That was my Halacha Seder in the morning. Uh, Lakuti Halachas from Rav Nassim Breslover. But I, I don't know, I feel like you could be also be like a Lakuti Halachic man. You don't have to be one or the other anymore. We can't really afford these days to be one or the other. As to why there are some people who are more naturally in the space of speaking one language and others who are speaking another language, a lot of it is personality. A lot of it is, is, is passion. A lot of it is, you know, just... I think it's a positive thing, even. I was like, the uh, Rav Ari Leibowitz is my uh, is my Gemara Rebbe, and the uh, Malamed is my Halacha Rebbe, and I can't. I don't know how many zillions of tapes of Weimarger Shirim I listened to in the in, in the nineties and early two thousands that like just shaped the collective awareness. And my own Rebbe that I have a Rebbe now, I feel like all these streams are kind of coming together. I don't feel pressure to like have find the complete package in one person. Polyestrel is the complete package. And and in these days, like the world is our base measure. The whole world is open to us. We can draw from different places and different voices and have different stages and different things that 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 uh, you know we include in our in our spiritual diet. So I don't know, I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm still trying to work through it. And so maybe it's fair to say that uh, just like in the medical field, you have people who have a general knowledge of medicine, but you have specialists. Right. So in Torah that you have, uh, and the specialists also have an awareness of and are dedicated to the other areas, but they remain specialists in their particular field. And maybe we have that too. It's a beautiful way, uh, a beautiful way of putting it. It's a beautiful way, it's a beautiful way of putting it. We're running out of time and we greatly appreciate you being with us. Rabbi Brody, or should I say Rav Josh, do you, Josh. Uh, you have a follow-up Rav Josh? Yeah, just got a, a quick question. First of all, tremendous Akar Satov to you and to Camp Hask, our daughter Ayala. Met Jake. Yeah. Camp Hask. It's quite a wedding. And, uh, very special place. And also my wife went there. I have to say that because, you know, I did not go. Um, <laughs> I was one, maybe one day. There's a special club of guys whose wives went right. to Camp Hask. Exactly. I mean, and they, they all we, end up with us. Yeah, no, it's us here. Like, you know. Right. Like, yeah, for sure. There's no question. No, we benefit the most from the whole thing. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, I'm just wondering, you know, you grew up, you said your family was, came in through Chabad. What's the real difference, would you say, between Chabad, which is so integrated into many mainstream Jewish communities now, and Neo-Hasidus, which is more modern Orthodox based? 
Is there, yeah, is it the same thing? Meaning like in Chabad, like my parents never got it, never connected to Chabad and Lubavitch. It was like the, the influence of the Shluchim in their lives and the empowerment to be involved in Torah mitzvos uh, and the opportunities they were enabled. They never joined the movement. They never put on the clothing and never bought the membership and never joined the shuls. And it was never that. It was just this general language of like, you know, like mentioned. So I think for those of us who are coming from a more modern background, I mean, it's, it's the perfect storm of openness and of intellectual honesty, hopefully, and intellectual curiosity and the ability to hold chiluke deos, meaning like we're okay with recognizing that people see the world differently. Like dialectic is something that we're trained with intellectually, hopefully, as we, as we grow up, so that we're able to hold contradiction. We're able to hold different perspectives and respect them and, and integrate it into our lives. I mean, isn't that the whole narrative of modern orthodoxy you know, to be able to, you know, draw from and balance kind of different uh, disciplines and see it all within the context of, you know, Lashem Ha'aretz of an of an Enog Novado, of Ribona Shalom. So it's not, I don't, I don't see it as, as anything which is extraordinary or contradictory. It, it seems very natural, meaning like being able to uh, appreciate and respect everyone and everything in the world as a reflection of some element of the, of the infinite God is, is the way we were, I mean, the way we were trained. It's the way it's supposed to be. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay. I wanted to thank you again so much for joining us, sharing your light, your inspiration with us. One last question on your way out. One last question behind the bima. So uh, I've just been Zoha, just married to, um, to celebrate a second wedding, two for two on the Rashid boys. So um, you married the daughter of a, of a rabbi, who at the time was the rabbi, I think, of the largest uh, shul, largest in Israel in the country at the time. What advice would you say to a young man who's marrying into a rabbinic family? If you were talking to one of the two Rashid boys, my sons-in-law, what would you tell them? What's most important? Wow. <laughs> yeah, always have a, always, first of all, always have a good vort prepared. That's, uh, <laughs> Listen that's, to uh, their mother-in-law. Yeah. No, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, I, you would hope that, I mean, I know you, and we've spoken about this, is that is, is, is the challenge of you know, forget behind the bima, it's behind the door of the, of the dining room. When, when you come home to be able to take off the public persona, which is appropriate and, and demanded and necessary, you know, and, and important and that people are counting on and need and be able to like change the parts of and kind of, you know, go into dad mode or go into father-in-law mode. So I think for the, for, for a son-in-law, and I'm, you know, I'm a proud son-in-law of a, of a rabbi and married to a very proud daughter of a you know who, who loves and respects her her parents and 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 their accomplishments. Um, I know I think as much as possible to just to, to be natural, you know, to to not buy into the you know the the public side of it as much. It's not you know I don't know, he's not going to be impressed anyway. As my Rebbe told my Rebbe said his son-in-law when he came in, my Rebbe knows Kolatora Kula, meaning like. We got this animal, and someone was all excited. And, and, and the shevet and the ufra, the, the vart and the ufrof, they talked about this kid's milas, how great he was, how big he was in learning, his avoda, his yira, all the things. Shevet brachas, they talked about how great this guy was. And the night that shevet brachas ended, I pulled him aside and said, I just want to tell you one thing. I don't expect anything from you. I don't hold of you. I don't need anything from you. <laughs> Take my daughter and have a happy life. Come here for Shabbos when you want. Don't come to my shul. Come to my shul. Sit next to me. Don't sit next to me. I, I'm not, I, you know, make your, make your life and, and, and do your thing, so to speak. And no, I, I'm interested. She, she belongs to you and you belong to her. And like, don't, you know, so I'd say for a son-in-law, there is a pressure, you know, there's a pressure. Listen, I, I didn't just marry the daughter of a rabbi. Like I went to work for my in-laws, meaning like my, <laughs> I was teaching for a couple of years and then we moved to Israel and I worked for my in-laws and with them. And, um, you know, there's definitely, definitely, a, there's definitely a big shadow. There's definitely a big shadow. And um, I think that the, 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 best, the best advice is just be really, 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 really good to your wife. <laughs> and really, really, <laughs> and really take, care, take care of that home and be a mensch, man. And don't make the mistakes I did at the beginning. <laughs> and listen to your wife. Rabbi Kiva said a kosher woman is, makes ritzon bala, you know, does ritzon bala. Everybody thinks that means like she follows her husband. Everybody likes to say that osa ritzon bala means that any of the good things that a man achieves, anything, any, any accomplishments that a person has is because his wife wakes up his ritzonos, his desire and yearning. So just be appreciative and be thankful. 
and uh, and clear and clear the table and don't leave your shoes on the dining room floor and thank your mother-in-law and offer to pick up the cleaners and all that stuff. You know? All good advice. All good advice. So, Judah, continue yeah. continue to light the world on fire. Send our love at Camp Hask. Spread the light from there to the whole world. Such a magical, magical place. And uh, keeping you. Thanks for your friendship. Thanks for coming Thanks on for tonight. Me. This send, great. send my this love really to your good. parents. I had herring for the first time at the Michelle House, and I've never looked back. So uh, experiential experience. Your, your dad <laughs> definitely is. gave me an experience. That I know. Your dad yeah. definitely gave me an experience. No, there was, no there was, I'm sure you had no choice in the matter. There was no choice involved in it. You went to Ashkama, you came home, you had scotch, herring, and nuts, and then you passed out on the couch until lunch. It was great. It was amazing. Sounds like a good sounds like a good experience to me. Rev Judah, thank you so much. We look forward to having you back on again. Have a good Shabbos, everybody. Thank you. Have a great Shabbos. Thank you. Thank you. you, Thank you. Great. Actually, the first time his dad ever gave me herring, I I, I never had in my life. It was the most disgusting thing I ever tasted (laughs) in my life. So I filed it away in the top of my cheek. And then like I just, you know, sat there and smiling. And then I excused myself to the bathroom. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Never 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 made it down the pipe. But uh, I made up for it since. We got a lot more to talk about, but I'll just uh, I'll say this about Judah is that what's amazing about him is he he's a real deal and he's the same person offline, online, behind the scenes, behind the bima, in front of the bima. He's just he's a great guy and he's the real deal. And I there's certain people that when you're around, they bring out something that's good in you and they you feel like they light you on fire, and I always feel more excited, more passionate when when we're hanging around with Rav Judah. So just a very real person, very intellectually honest, not trying to wow you, right? He just he, he's he's a real person. I, he had a line there which I love. I'm going to use it again. He said, "I'm not an expert in anything. I'm an expert in trying." I right. love that line. I'm an expert. Aren't that, we're all doing that, right? We're, not, we're all experts in trying to be better Ovde Hashem, better spouses, better parents, better children. For sure. I'm an expert in trying. Sometimes I get it, sometimes I don't, but I'm I really try hard. Rev. Josh, what's your story? I was going to tell. Yeah, I was going to tell him a story. I remember Rabbi Fran told us about the three most I- I- impressive shmas that he ever heard. Maybe it was, it was at a shachris or at a marv. You know, one was the Siam Hashas. I was going to say the other one was at Camp Hask. And he, would, I remember him telling us. But then I was like, I think maybe it was Camp Simcha. So I didn't the story. <laughs> It was Camp Ask. I remember. It was Camp Ask, right? It was Camp Ask. It was yeah. Camp Ask. Yeah. Now there, there's something extraordinary that goes Amazing on there, place. and you see, you see, otherwise really spoiled, entitled young people. And I'm not knocking anyone in particular. It's just a phenomenon of the generation. And it's like a little cocoon, a little window. It's a little space where they escape that trend, and they realize something true about themselves. And I and I don't know whether there's been any study, longitudinal study or whatever of of, of Camp Ask staff members further on in life, somehow how you can measure the type of parents they are, givers, how involved they are in a chesed in the community. And it's a chicken and an egg, right? I don't know. Maybe they had that predisposition to chesed before they went to ask, or maybe they learned it and cultivated at ask, but they're definitely something special. And, and we're all beneficiaries of it because, um, because of our wives, children have worked there and, and it's contagious. It's really great. It's really special. So um, there's a lot more to talk about. Very little time left. First of all, it's a, it's a sad week to me. Because in their primaries, Rashida Tlaib, Ilan Omar won. And I, I davened. I actually, in my davening, asked Hashem, like, you know, the people who are just against everything we believe in, everything we're working for, who are trying to extinguish the light. And, and I don't, we're not getting involved in politics, although behind the Bima is not a 501c3, so we can endorse on here. Uh, we're not representing Booker's own synagogue. But we don't endorse. We don't, we're a political uh, show. Um, but this isn't politics. I mean, Ilan Omar is, is a, a blatant anti-Semite. We don't have to review her record of anti-Semitism. I'll just say this. When I saw that she won, was it yesterday? When I saw that she won, I just said to myself in 2020, how, how would a, an African-American feel? How, how would Marvell feel seeing a racist reelected in their district? Ilan Omar's record is clear. It's clear. And her opponent, an African-American opponent, Democratic opponent, made very clear her record about Israel because he's actually very loyal to Israel. So there was no, there's no innuendo and there's no nuance here. Her record's clear. And yet enough people voted that she's been not reelected, but she's been, at least she won the primary, which means she's going to be reelected. So, you know, again, Stephen King was reelected many, many times. Uh, Congressman King is um, reelected many times, even though he's a racist and he shouldn't have been, but he would never get reelected in 2020. So how can an anti-Semite get reelected in 2020. Why is hating the Jew something still acceptable or tolerable that someone could be, you can have a whole team of elected officials who apparently came out today very triumphant and proud 
that they won their primaries and, and see that as a further endorsement of who they are on their agenda. That was really sad and depressing to me. Yeah, and it was also just, it was a frustration about the pro-Israel community in general. I mean, obviously, you know, we, we know many of our members that were very involved in raising money for, for the candidates in those races. And, right. um, you know, you want to believe the hype sometimes when they say that the Jews run politics and the Jews run, sometimes you want to believe that and you want to hope work. that if there is someone who's so blatantly anti-Semitic that, that we'll have enough funds and enough power and enough wherewithal to be able to defeat that purpose person. And when we're not able to do that, so it is, a, it, is a, it is a mirror to our faces as a community of, uh, of what we can do, what we can be doing, should we have done more to really to, to combat this stuff and really get off the sidelines and get involved in this stuff. And where's the failure? Is the failure educating? In the, those districts, are they not educated about why these things matter? Um, I, think, I think a lot of, like you just said, the pros or community poured a lot of money in to educate. So do we just, you know, how, how do we understand it? How do we understand it as religious Jews? Everything that happens is the will of Hashem. So somehow Hashem still wants us to have maybe those the elected officials that we deserve. So I think even hashkafically or within our Jewish philosophy, trying to understand why these things happen, it's just to me, it's it's kind of depressing. It's really upsetting. Was well, hard. Was well, hard. And we we got an email from from some of our pro-Israel friends trying to yeah. spin it and couch it and. But, uh, but you're right. It was a very frustrating and very disappointing week to watch the news and the primaries and the news coming out. It was a defeat and it was defeating. It was deflating. It really was. It was. Um, Do you think it's going to happen ours, more now, now that the policy conference isn't happening this year? People are just kind of unplugged a little bit? Um, the support? It's a good question. I think APAC's going to have to find other ways that, that people can express their pro-Israel advocacy and, and make that difference. Um, whatever you think of um, Joe Biden's vice presidential pick, and of course, we're apolitical, we don't comment, but I was happy to see this as someone who J Street has never endorsed and someone who stayed true and loyal to APAC, even in the last policy conference this past March, when she couldn't appear, but made very clear and posted online that she's APAC all the way. So I was, I was happy to see that and somewhat relieved to see that. Again, not commenting on the bigger picture, but only on that particular particular point. Um, colleague of ours put out an article this week, which I thought was really interesting and really well said, um, Rabbi Jonathan Muscat. Jonathan Muscat is a friend and a colleague in, in Oceanside. He put an article that was titled, Be a Stakeholder, Not a Customer of Our Shuls and Yeshiva Day Schools. I would just tweak it to say, be a, be a, a, a stakeholder, not a consumer. And basically, in this article, um, he succinctly communicates and articulates something that we've been thinking about. Rabbi Moskowitz, you kind of went off on this on Tisha B'Av during Kinos, but <laughs> You know, there's a lot in a, in a positive sense went off on it. At least I thought I was delir- it was. I was delirious. So. <laughs> no, no, you, were, you were not. He doesn't remember. You were not feeling your best. Yeah, you were unplugged. So, um, you know, there are a lot of people when they're deciding whether they're going to continue to send their children to Jewish day school right now, which is complicated, very complicated. If it's only going to be online, if it's in person with masks, what will the policies be? Will one get their money's worth? Very complicated. And I am not suggesting or trying to oversimplify it in any way. It's complicated. And others who we know are going to say, well, do I really need to join membership in shul? Do I need to renew my, my pledge even beyond membership? Can't really attend. I can't get out of it what I'm used to. So his point of the article is that whole mentality is as a consumer, as a customer. So if you're a consumer, if you're like, hey, Comcast, I'm not getting the bandwidth on my Wi-Fi, cut down the price. Hey, uh, whoever else, I'm not getting what I'm paying for, so therefore I'm going to pay less. When you're a consumer or a customer, you know, you're only willing to pay for what you get out of it. And his point was, you're not a customer or consumer. You're a stakeholder. You're a partner. You're a co-owner of the company. You got to put in your own capital, whatever it takes to keep everything going, because it's that important. So I, I really like that, that um, depiction of Rabbi Muscat of, are you a consumer or a customer or are you a stakeholder? And it's exactly how we've been feeling as well. 100%. I'll tell you a great story. I haven't asked her for permission, so I cannot share her name. But I was talking recently to a colleague of ours at Federation, Rabbi Brody, someone you work with very closely. And um, I asked her, I said, you know, are, did you join membership again at your temple? She's not Orthodox. She belongs to a different denomination of Judaism. I said, you know, now that the high holidays are all going to be online. I'm just curious, did you, did you pay your dues? And she said, did I pay? Not only, I was the first one to pay my dues. She goes, every year I hedge and I haw, is it worth it? Is it not worth it? She goes, I am such a believer in community, in the role that synagogues play in our community, that this year more than ever, she said, I was the first one to sign up simply because I believe in our institutions and the need for them to not only survive, but thrive even in difficult times. And I thought that was such a great 
tag, you know, tag team off of what you just said about feeling like a stakeholder, not a consumer. Right. A consumer would have said, you know what? I'm not getting the services. What do I need? A stakeholder says, no, I believe in what Shul represents in my life. I believe what it contributes to my family, to my faith, to my religious experience. And when synagogues and schools are down and out, that's specifically when I step forward. And if I could do it financially, I do it financially. And if I could do it in volunteer efforts, I do it in volunteer efforts. But we need people more now than ever. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a different, it's a total shift in, in mentality and thinking. And we have wonderful people. And for the most part, I think people do feel like they're stakeholders. I think they take a bullet for our community. I think they feel a part of a family. I think they dig deep and they give their all. And for the most part, we are profoundly grateful to have such partnership and such stakeholders. Maybe we should come up with a new term instead of being membership. You know, you're a member at Restaurant Depot. You're a member at Costco. I used to say you're a member at Blockbuster. You're a member at all these other places. Um, it's not a membership. It's a stakeholder. You're, it's a partnership. It's like, it's like, I'm not a member of my family. Like that's, it's the wrong term. It's, it's something part of your very core identity. It's who you are. You can't divorce yourself from it. So um, yeah, I know that, you know, we need to compete in order our members, we have to provide value and service to them and, and we have to make it worth their while on the one hand. On the other, we talked about the BRS movement, what we stand for. We stand for Torah. We stand for Tefillah. We stand for what Rav Judah was describing, lighting the world on fire, repairing the world in God's image, being a conduit and, a, and an instrument of chesed, a vehicle to, to do great things in the world, to connect people, to provide community, to advocate for Israel, outreach, leadership, all the different things. And, and we don't have to you know, give our, our little sales pitch tonight. But if you buy into that, then you're a stakeholder in ensuring or trying to promote that those values can go far and wide. And if you see yourself as a consumer, then you're, well, what's in it for me? I'm going to cut back this year. So we know there are people who are hurting financially. And if you're hurting financially, nobody's asking you or expecting you to do more than you can. You could be a member of BRS and there are members of BRS for $5 a year. If that's what you can afford, then you can be a member. And this isn't about BRS. And I'll tell you, when I came out of quarantine where we were staying, um, there was a, a minion, there was a shul, one of the last shuls in the area we were staying that was still meeting outdoors. And it was uh, four minutes from where we were staying through the woods. Most mornings I had to navigate the deer. And you're not sure like deer, like it's, it's like a bear. Like, do you really want to like, like make eye contact have a staring contest? Do you want to move the beer? It's very, I had a lot of, a lot of, a lot of interesting experiences with deer this summer. Anyway, so um, yesterday was the last day I dove in there. And, and I say this not to, to show off in the least. I sh if anything, I'm showing off about my parents and my grandparents that I left. I handed them a check. And I said, thank you. I said, thank you, because for the last couple of weeks, when I got out of quarantine, I had a place to dive three times a day. It was outdoors, spaced, safe, and I'm just grateful. And I don't want to have shown up and, and taken that feel of a seaboard and not contribute. So it, it wasn't a huge check. It's so crazy you just shared that story. I'll tell you why. Because I was about to jump in with a story that one of my earliest memories was going on vacation. We went to a minion, and I remember my dad handing a, writing a check to the Gabai, the show right after Shabbat says, dad, we were here. We, we dive in like two minyanim. He goes, yeah. He goes, aren't you appreciative that that show is here and that we, we have to show our cars at We have to write the donation. It's but literally as exactly. you're telling that story. Because that, that's, you know, uh, we talked about this, I think in a previous episode about a younger generation who don't join membership till they need an announcement or the member rate. And they don't see that they're a stakeholder. How can I come and take and be a consumer? How can I consume and not contribute? And so, you know, we learned, we had parents and grandparents, Yochevet's grandfather, her opa, Oliva Shalom, he was a levy. Every time he visited, I made sure he got an aliyah because he left a check every <laughs> single time he got an aliyah, every time he visited. So that, and he deserved the aliyah, of course. He was a very special man, our Arnold Goldsmith, our opa. But there was, a, there was a mentality of previous generations, and I think it's critical to the future. When, when we, we, rabbinic leadership and Jewish communal leaders, are all talking about what the future holds post-corona, what will be left of community, what have people discovered about their ability to do it on their own. I'll do Kol Nidre and Yisker on Zoom. I can listen to Shirim from the best speakers anywhere in the world. I got a minion at the edge of my driveway. I no longer need a shul. I no longer need a shul. So what's our response? What's our answer? And the answer is that community and what it stands for, its values, its ideals, the difference it makes, it transcends. It's so much bigger than each of those um, privileges of membership. So you're right. If you're a consumer, you can consume those things each separately and build your own menu of consuming those things on your own. But if you're not a consumer, if you're a stakeholder, then you say to yourself, I need the community to be strong. What will community look like with a shul at its center um, when this is all over? What will it look like? Who's taking care of the needy? Who's making sure food's delivered to the elderly? Who is right now convening, not just in our community, we're seeing it all over. Who's convening these task force and committees that are saying, what are the Yom Naran going to look like? 
How do we make sure we have indoor, outdoor minyanim shofar blowing, different le- Who's going to provide that, convene that, answer those questions, investigate those issues if we don't celebrate? So anyway, I just wanted to raise that and really give him kudos. Rabbi Muscat, I thought he did a great job of contrasting the mentality, the attitude of, are you a consumer or customer or are you a stakeholder? And I think a follow-up to that article would be to spell it out. Kind of, here's a test. How do you think about this or do you do that? And basically, you can tell from the answer to those questions, are you a customer or are you a stakeholder? But you have to convince people it pays to be a stakeholder. Yeah, I think of in you gave a Shabbos Shuvadrasha a couple of years ago. I don't remember the exact title, but uh, but that was the upshot of it. The upshot was is that everyone in the shul needs to have their thing that they're contributing to the community. And for some people, that's going to be financial. For some people, it's going to be that they're shining the silver before the Yom Narayim. For some people, it's they're changing the parochet. For someone, it's going to be he's the gabai. But everyone's got to have their part that they uniquely contribute to a community. Um, because that's what Hashem demands of us, right? Hashem gives us gifts in our as Rav Judah said. Right, the give is the greatest uh, opportunity that we have, and so Hashem gives us gifts—some for talent, some it's resources—but it's what we do with those gifts that really defines us. Yeah, we we once did the back uh, behind Disney scene. It wasn't behind right. the beam; it was behind Disney tour. And all the people who work at Disney are called cast members. Cast members, because there, there's no custodian, there's no janitor, there's no housekeeper, there's no high level, low level, senior, junior. They're all cast members, and they're all part of making it the happiest place on earth. So our members of our community. If you're a consumer, a customer, then you're what have you done for me lately? But if you're a member of the cast, then you're trying to create an environment where it's the happiest and most spiritual place on earth. Right. Rav, Rav Josh, Rav Josh, what's what's going on in that mind of yours? I'm just excited right now that we're going to be. <laughs> We're going to be launching a whole new program. It's going to be a very different program this year. I'm very excited that we're going to be back for the high holidays at Boca Raton Synagogue. We got to work out the schedule, but that's going to be something very, very. We'll be exciting. back at BRS this year. That's big news. Back at BRS, first time in many, many years. And, yes, uh, can't wait to. You know, it's nice also because there's certain people, you know, people that you know that enjoy that type of experience, and unfortunately couldn't get it at BRS when we moved off campus. So it's nice to be back for a year. For sure. Yep. For sure. It'll be nice because part of what I missed when you moved off for the BRS campus because you got so big, you needed a bigger venue, was the integration. You know, there was something really special about our members coming out of Shul on the Yamuna Rhyme and seeing the outreach members and, and people being Pocket able books. to interact with each other. Yeah, no, but you know what? There was a pride from our community members. And I think from the outreach side, there was a benefit to seeing you know, a lively, dynamic, vibrant Jewish life taking Listen, place on our campus. I remember 20 years ago when Rabbi Goldberg started the service with the tent. Back in the day. The, uh, front lawn. Yeah, that, in now, those days you, we put you, up tents because, because we wanted to, not because we had to. <laughs> right. It was a different world. I'll show you copy also, Rabbi Goldberg's drusha if you're on the campus, yeah. or is he just going to call him in and give it? <laughs> we're going to stop by. We're going to rotate. Well, who knows what drusha is? Again, we gotta, we're convening our committee. We've got to figure out. You know, I, I saw that one, one of our colleagues, a friend, um, was quoted in a JTA article about um, how the Yom Narayim got to work, and he said, my drusha was the first thing to go. And I understand that, because it's probably the most negotiable part of davening. It's not part of the davening at all, the drusha. Um, so on the one hand, the drusha could be the first thing to go, but we've also gotten feedback, and this is, again, not to pat ourselves on the back or to flex, but so let's make it about others. I know that when, when I went to shul when I was younger, the davening did a lot for me, but what I really relied on was an inspirational, motivational talk, was a story, was a drusha, was someone to light me on fire. So on the one hand, from a purely halachic Jewish legal standpoint, the drusha can be the first thing to go. On the other hand, for what people rely on or hopefully lean on to inspire them, the drusha is kind of important for them. Yeah, we got that feedback from the survey. We put out a survey and uh, we had a nice participation from our membership. And, you know, it was interesting is we asked people how long would they be comfortable being in shul? And, and a lot of the comments said, whatever you do, we need two things. One is bathrooms. That was a big one. Access to bathrooms. Yes. And number two is they said they rely, you know, it's hard. Yom Narayim are hard. It's hard to get motivated. The words are hard. It's a long davening. And uh, sometimes, uh, as you said, a story, something to touch your heart is what gets you going. And uh, you, it is hard to talk to a, a little bit. It's hard to talk to an audience oh. where you can't see their face and you can't see their mouth. You know, sometimes true. you get a good read on the way people are, are, are understanding or perceiving what you're saying. And now you're looking at it a whole room. You just see eyes and, and it's very hard to get a read. It's, it's, that's a great point. That's a great point. I found myself. I found myself several times back in Boca that you're looking across a room, and and normally you could rely on you're smiling at someone, right? Smile back, 
Right. They don't know if you smile. With masks on, nobody sees a smile. Right. It's really, it's really wild. It's really something very wild. So we, um, we want to thank our sponsors again, our anonymous sponsors who are dear friends. We love you. Thank you for getting the message of unity, not uniformity. And thank you for being part of our movement, even without living in our community. We took two weeks off. And when you take two weeks off, your podcast dips a bit. So it means we need you more than ever. So take a moment, whatever podcast player you listen to podcasts on, go on behind the Bema. And as I say every week, don't do it because you're promoting us. Again, we don't make money off of this. Do it because you want everyone to hear of Judah's excitement. His, you want his energy to be contagious and other people be on fire. You're so a shareholder. Go on. You're, yeah, yeah, you're a stakeholder in Behind the Bema, not a consumer. So be a stakeholder in Behind the Bema. You get the same cut that we get out of it. We should sell we'll shares. Get your, we'll get you a Shabbos light if that's what it will take. But, um, <laughs> but be a stakeholder in Behind the Bema. Go on your podcast player, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Go on whatever device you use. Rate, review our podcast. Help it climb the charts so that not just the young men in Muncie, New York, but everywhere they're listening, they can, everyone can show Behind the Bema's my, my podcast. We're going to start having um, some extended stickers. features. We're going to have some extra, extra features on Behind the Beam of the podcast for those listening on the podcast. And I'll, I'll close by announcing with great excitement that- Oh, he's gone? Oh, okay. Oh, you froze, I'm you here. froze. I'm here, I'm here. We've, yeah. we've got some, am I still here? You got me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got, we've got some incredible guests lined up. I will just say that two weeks time from now, we have a very prominent guest who is making a very big announcement. That's all. That's all I'm going to say. Then two weeks, you do not want to miss Behind the Bima. I'm, I'm a little a, nervous for that interview. I'm I'm going to start Moskowitz, where, you, right where, now. It, where are you going? We have a prominent, <laughs> a prominent guest who will be making a big, big announcement. So whether it's, uh, I don't know, season one, episode 18 or season two, episode one, but thank you for joining us again. Thank you to Rav Judah Michelle. Thank you to all of you and wishing everyone, please stay happy, stay healthy and stay holy. Have a good night. Thank you for listening to Behind the Beamer. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next week for another peek behind the Bema.